Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This is Eat Sleep Work Repeat, a weekly series of podcasts about happiness and work culture. Yes, yes, we're back. We're back. So here's the news. I skipped a month largely because I had like this 10-day holiday and when I came back it was all a bit hectic. And basically the big thing that's happening is that I've signed this deal to do a book for Penguin Random House, which is amazing, right? But the prospect of writing 80,000 words of amazingness is daunting and every weekend I've prioritised that over this. And to be honest, someone made a catty comment that I couldn't do my job and the podcast. So I've been very focused on making sure that all the cats didn't win. Those cats, man, they are so catty. So hang on. There's a better way of me sharing that news. So I've got a book coming out in early 2018 about fixing work. And I know that feels like miles away, but I need to submit 25,000 words before you finish your Easter eggs. And I'm sending out an SOS right now for people to send me some Adderall to get it done. Despite the break and demands on me, we're sweet here. Over the next few episodes, I'm going to be sharing some ways to improve work. And I really want to hear your stories and your experiences. Maybe go into the book. I could maybe make you a sort of one out of ten degree of fame. Um, the good news is I've got loads of amazing episodes recorded, so we're good to go. Now, today's episode was inspired by a chat with a chap that you're going to hear from called Andy Paulson. Basically, over the course of the last three or four months, two or three people have come up to me and said, oh, we do this interesting thing at my work. We do we do this. We do this. And so the two people you're going to hear from, you're going to hear from Andy Paulson, who used to work at Radio One. He's now a a consultant. And uh, you'll hear a description of of sort of what Andy did and, and what he does now. And also, I chatted to a woman called Claudia Newman, and Claudia is the head of new business at Young and Rubicon. They're a creative advertising agency. And she came up to me, I spoke somewhere, and she came up to me and she, she told me about two things that they did at YNR, and I thought they'd be fabulous to share. So, a little bit of a different episode today. It's just two people describing things that happen in their companies and these remarkable connections between them. I think overall what you find is that these people are describing effective meetings that they have. Now, I'm I'm a big conscientious objector to meetings. I sort of start having a philosophy that we should get rid of at least three quarters of all meetings. 
And the interesting thing, I think, that comes from the discussion here, you're going to hear about uh, meetings at Radio 1, you're going to hear about meetings at Young and Rubicon, and actually the meetings that seem to work here seem to be infused with emotion and sort of human connection. So there's a fascinating thing. I mentioned it in passing. Andy Paulston, when I first met him, was telling me about a Brian Eno, uh, John Peel lecture. And Brian Eno, I'll, I'll tweet it from my Twitter account. Brian Eno was talking about how he'd sat behind two pensioners on a bus. And these two pensioners had been talking uh, about a, a plot line, I think, on Coronation Street. Uh, it was sort of a, a, I think, someone had had a, a lesbian awakening. And the two people were talking to each other on the bus. And he said he found it fascinating because he felt they were using the culture and the discussion of the culture to synchronise with each other. And um, and sort of, I think that's what you're going to get from today's episode. How we can achieve this synchrony, this how we can connect with each other on a human level, sometimes by things that probably on paper feel disposable, unnecessary, trivial. So you're going to hear about Crisp Thursday, and I am fascinated and obsessed with Crisp Thursday. And you're also going to hear lots of traditions from Radio 1. So they had heroic leaving speeches. They had these pizza meetings where the old the old controller of Radio 1 would pay out of his own money, aware that, re- that the Daily Mail might look at his expenses. He would pay out of his own money for a whole batch of pizzas and beers, and they'd celebrate the work they'd done. Probably familiar stuff, nothing from either of these things that is is unfamiliar to anyone in work. But I think they're both interesting explorations of how great meetings are often infused with emotion. And you might remember just at the end of last year, there was an episode where I was chatting to, to Twitter founder Biz Stone. And the one thing we do have at Twitter, we have this sort of regular team meeting. Um, we have it in the London office. We uh, Biz created it and was sort of part of it going into the, the overall company. And that meeting actually is infused with emotion. It's infused with sort of discussions and um, really sort of, you know, stories of, of how the Twitter product is used. So... It was really interesting for me that I think in principle, a lot of us would sit there and say, oh, what's the objective of this meeting? Where's the agenda? And actually what these people appear to be saying is that sometimes an emotional connection, a synchronisation that you achieve from meeting is really powerful. Andy had a fabulous career at Radio 1. He was a producer. He was a senior content producer. He went on to be an interactive editor, a digital editor, and uh, largely he, he ended up, I think, uh, running some of the programming. He talks about being a head of programming for overnight. Okay, now he works at Secret Sessions, sort of acting. They're, they're an agency for new and emerging artists, but he's a fabulous He's got a fabulous perspective on what works with culture. And he says two or three things. In fact, he ends with one thing, which are just brilliant insights, I think, into the the way that teams tick. So let's kick off. Let's go to Andy. It's important to remember that Radio 1 had gone through some dramatic change through the 90s. Audiences were starting to do something very different to what Radio 1 was talking about. You know, this was, if you think back, that second summer of love, everyone was into raving, and Radio 1 had Dave Lee Travis and Steve Wright. No offence to them, they were good DJs, but they weren't really reflective of the audience. 
that Radio One had been set up. So it had gone. It had done great work to re-establish its music credentials and its credibility. DJs like Pete Tong had come on board. Tim Westwood was on there. They were doing dance music, rap music, the essential mix, all this stuff. And they did a great job of reasserting their music credentials. I think what happened along the way was that they lost a little bit of the demographic. And I think, being candid, they were probably a bit too cool for school at one point. So they lost a good chunk of listeners. I think they probably went from 11.5 million to about 9.4 in 2003. So the time that we're talking about is this 10-year period between 2003 and the end of 2012. Radio 1 did its last show from Yalding House, which was the HQ in December, and then it moved wholesale into the new broadcasting house. And in that time, in that 10-year period, Radio 1 basically reinvented itself um, was able to go from 9.4 million listeners to, uh, I think it peaked at 12, peaked at 12 million in 2011. So it did a, an amazing job of recontacting that audience that it was set up to serve. And I think what's interesting about the story is the ways in which it did that and the working conditions that were essentially fueling that that change. Big Weekend launched in 2003. Zane Lowe joined in the same year Chris Moyles was put onto breakfast in 2004 you know at the time Radio 1 was the leading youth network in the BBC and it was well resourced and it had a huge live music agenda we were over in Ibiza in New York Sonar um, the live lounge was becoming a super brand at that point and plus there were a load more DJs on the radio at that point you know there were just more shows the other thing to remember is that in 2003 social media was just message boards forums and group emails um, that shift to what at the time was called web 2.0 happened around 2003 as myspace kind of came along and all of a sudden everyone had their own profile artists had their own profile and they were huge if you remember that myspace was huge at the time youtube followed suit in about 2005 twitter i think was 2006 in the uk i think facebook was 2007 so at that time, there were just every year there was a new platform launching, and it was a time of immense change, but also a lot of opportunity. And for my team and the digital team, working out how the radio station could essentially apply itself to those platforms and turn them to our advantage was very, very exciting. And there was, and we were encouraged to do so. Um, I think that was the what was so liberating about it is that it was a time to forge a whole new load of behaviours, ways of doing things, taking risks, and being supported in that, I think, was was definitely what made it such an exciting place so to lift work. So lift the bonnet for me, because you, you've got a situation there where your audience has gone down at the, you know, from the peak to the, the sort of, that first dip from the 11.5 to the, the 9.5. Yeah. Um, you know, I suspect when audiences go down, it's a, it's a test of faith, right? You know, like it's, you've you got to be confident and brave. Lift the bonnet. What was the culture like? Was, it, was this sort of one monoculture? You've got loads of different DJs there. Was it one culture? Was it loads of different sort of affiliated tribes? So I think that the, the culture was, I think, probably more affiliated tribes in a way. I think a lot of that has to do with uh, the way that the building and the station was laid out from a from a well, from an architecture point of view, but from a sort of habitat point of view. Just the structure of the building meant that 
the station was organised in a certain way physically. We were in a building called Yording House, which is sort of in central London. And I think what's interesting, and I know that you've had guests previously on your podcast who talk about the importance of architecture and the, fe- and the effect great architecture can have on work culture. But I've got kind of an opposing view to that, or rather I don't think it's conducive to a great work culture because Radio One's headquarters at that time were, were a dump. I mean, I don't think, you know, if anyone recalls what it was like in that building, the building was pretty rotten in places. Uh, and we knew we were moving out, and so the leaks were never fixed. There were people in offices who had these strange contraptions, draining water from the roof leaks hanging above their, hanging above their seats, damp everywhere. I mean, the toilets used to overflow, and you could, you know, and they only ever used to replace the dirty carpet tiles, so you could see how far it had spread. And the lift used to break all the time and there was stuff everywhere. But the layout was helpful because each tribe had its own space, right? So it was over five floors. You had the studios in the basement. And then on the ground floor, you had daytime production. First floor was the management team. Second floor was the weekend shows. Third floor was one extra. And I think that lack of open plan really added to the culture of Radio 1 because everyone has their own space the tribes become little families inside the the overall organization. Each tribe has its own little chief in terms of the exec or the head of department who was running that particular team. Hang on, so so like somewhere like Radio 1, I presume people are playing music, right? So so, so when you've worked in open plan environments, do people play music or do they just play the radio station? In Yawning House, everyone just used to play whatever they wanted to listen to. Right, so these little tribes were playing what they wanted. And and describe with the tribes in... Little offices of five people, four people, ten. No, people. they they were they were a bit bigger. I think that probably all in all, Radio One was about one hundred and twenty people. Yeah. So each one probably had twenty in it. Okay. Um, depending on the time of day. So in the mornings, the daytime office was really really busy, as you might expect. Specialists less so because those shows went out a little bit later. So there was, you know, there were always people about. I think that was, you know, the lights were kind of always on at, at Radio One pretty much. But yeah, those groups were somewhere between sort of 15 and 20. In the communal areas, you'd have the output obviously sort of playing through the speakers in the ceiling. But individually, people, if they were working on shows, would be listening to records. But I think that the lack of open plan allowed those groups to listen to whatever they wanted to. And often in my team, there would be, we'd just take a little vote on the kind of show we wanted to listen to. So if we wanted to listen to the essential mix or um, the punk show or whatever, we would just decide that that was the one that we were going right. to check out. Broadcasting House, when we moved there, was was quite different in that it was technically much more sophisticated and the speakers that were dotted around that whole f- eighth floor were all playing the live output. So you got to hear what was going on at all times, but you didn't have the freedom to choose what it was you wanted to listen to as a group i think that changed things a little bit in terms of how people what they enjoyed how they behaved what they would talk about that kind some of, thing. of this normally the paradox of open planet is that you think it's going to lead to more mingling and chatting between people yeah uh, um and actually it tends not to did you find that when you've got like these mi- these little offices with people in them listening to their own thing did that invite more mingling or was, op- was open plan more effective those rooms were not exclusive so anyone could walk anywhere in that building and would be welcome to go and talk to whoever they wanted to talk to i think the thing about not uh, not a non-open plan or a more kind of segmented 
way of working is that people edit their behavior less in front of a smaller audience. And I think personally they take more risks and I think that it's easier to be yourself if you're in the confines of a smaller group who know you. Uh, I think you're much more likely to interject across a room or join in a conversation that someone's having. When you're contained, you're much less likely to annoy the people around you who are not part of that conversation. If you come at it from a hierarchy of needs point of view, that sense of belonging and that sense of esteem and the self-actualization in open plan, I think it's compromised a little bit. I don't think you can be your truest self if you know that being your truest self is going to piss somebody off. And where pissing someone off might be just talking. Yes, or listening to music. I think it was the other thing about, I've worked in open plan before where we've had the music on quietly and those who like complete silence for their work have come over and asked us to turn it down. But when you work in a broadcasting organisation and music is your principal subject matter and your lifeblood, if you like, it does feel slightly counterintuitive to not be able to do those things and to even discuss output. I think the freedom to personalise the space and to kind of build your own family feel, I think, is terribly important to that sense of belonging. So let's use music as sort of a figurative example, really. So I guess to some extent, the more that people talk for, for other people... The way we're going to talk about music now is ideas. But do you think people talked about music in the office more when you had individual offices or more when you had the open plan office? Because I guess music was your stimulus. Yeah. If someone wandered past a specialist show and heard something interesting, yeah. do you have more discussion about those things when it's open plan so you're meeting more people or closed plan when there was little sort of tribal pockets? Closed plan, definitely. I think just knowing that emotional safety, that you have the support of the people around you to put a tune on and turn it up and ask everybody in the, in the vicinity what they think of it was welcomed because it was just, that's what you did. And sometimes, I mean, I worked, I worked in specialist production for a little while. I ran midnight till four, so I spent quite a bit of time in, in that room. And I re- remember Zane or... Zane Lowe's producer putting something on and kind of turning it up and just getting all excited about it and just saying, you know, that's going on the show tonight. And that was kind of normal and part of what made it exciting that those things kind of happened. And in open plan, that behaviour happened in sort of separate rooms or in the studios and was never really part of the fabric of what was going on. This is always common denominator, right? That if you're in sort of this big open plan, if someone suddenly puts on a bit of music and says this is going on the show tonight, then you don't know if someone's in the middle of an accounts query crisis over the other side of the office or they're in the middle of some sort of, you know, legal problem that they've got. So if you turn up music, you're inviting someone else. There's there's a lowest common denominator, right? That's right. You you don't want to bring stress to other people unnecessarily. So I think open plan has a normalising effect on behaviour. It kind of knocks off the edges that makes life interesting at work. And... I think out of a courtesy for the people that you work with, you kind of don't want to annoy them. And so you, you kind of curb and edit your behavior accordingly. Uh, and I think that has a compounding effect over time that just makes things a little bit less interesting. Yeah. I think in terms of kind of being, being accepted, being kind of a bit, more, a bit more out there in your behavior, to have the confidence to do that, I think open plan does really prevent you from, from doing that a little bit. Talk me what are the other elements of the, the culture. So was there, a, I guess, normally what you find is when cultures feel cohesive or when people are sort of bonding, these opportunities for everyone to get together and 
and chew the fat or, or just like, you know, often social get togethers. Was, was there any ways that you found effective at getting together and, and yeah, bonding? Very much so. I mean, the heartbeat of Radio 1 from a staff point of view was the monthly pizza meeting. So as company meetings go, I think there's an awful lot to learn from this one because it was one of my it was one of my favorite parts of being at that radio station and in many ways it was a ritual in the truest sense and i think just to kind of outline it for a second once a month as many people as could fit into the boardroom would sort of would sort of pack themselves in we take out the tables and chairs and everyone had to sit on the floor or on the radiators or on the windowsills uh the boss's kind of PA would bring in a big stack of pizzas and, and kind of hand them out and everyone got a slice and a drink and the boss used to pay for it himself which I thought was always tremendously admirable that, that he kind of took the, the time to do that and there was rarely enough for one pizza each right so everyone had to share and I really li- I sort of like the, the analogy of having to sort of break bread i mean breaking bread is kind of part of a lot of a lot of rituals and quite synonymous with rituals um but sort of ha- but the but the sharing of pizza was very very kind of much kind of communal and all kind of eating together it sort of felt uh it, felt it was kind of very bonding everyone kind of wanted to be in the room if you were late it was standing room only so you had to kind of go in at the back and kind of squash yourself in and it did have a real family feel to it i think there's something quite special about having your workmates up kind of re- real close and and having to you know, rather than spread out in some sort of like cavernous lecture theatre or kind of meeting space that uh, some large offices have, I think it's a bit like if you ever put a party on, the size of the venue is absolutely critical to whether mm. or not it works. And having a large amount of people in a small space is much more conducive to having a good time than having the same amount of people in a much larger room. And, does and feel did the very mood different. in that room change when the audience was going down or when the audience was going up? Or did the people in the room feel like we're doing the right thing and we're a good team together? Did, did, what I'm saying is, did what was happening in the outside world affect the mood in that room? Yeah, so I, what was interesting about that meeting was that it was, it was part operational and part sort of celebration. The tone of that meeting was great because everyone was treated like a grown-up. And Andy Parfit used to share as much information from the management side of things as, as he could, within reason. And we would talk about what was happening in the BBC exec, what was happening at the trust, the DCMS, if that was relevant. And we would talk about audiences and creativity and process and ratings all the time. We would acknowledge where we were in the ratings. And I th- if I recall correctly... Radio 1 was set a rather ambitious target to return to 11 million. Well, I think, it was, I think it was returned to 10, and then that got pushed to 11, just by virtue of someone piping up in a meeting. And I think, you know, 9.5 million listeners isn't bad. And if you're told that your target is 9 then nine and a half is you're overachieving. But if someone sets your target at 11, you're, you then come to understand that you're not as big as you need to be. What made them, that meeting so interesting was that the, the attitude was much more about acknowledging them as obstacles that would define the way forward rather than the thing that was going to impede the action. And, you know, 
Andy led those meetings brilliantly and we were very lucky to have someone like him in charge being very thoughtful and forward thinking about what we were to do next. The synchronisation, I mean, there's definitely a synchronisation part to that meeting. When I say heartbeat, I think that from a cultural point of view, all cultures require synchronisation. And synchronisation is important for cultures because it makes knowledge common. I think what's important to focus on is, remember I said it was kind of part celebration, and I think the emotional content of that pizza meeting is, is what made it what it was and why it was so effective. Point, the point of rituals, right, is that they fuse groups and they allow, if they're done well, they allow the emotions to have pride of place. And so at the pizza meeting, we would spend a lot of time just focusing on who, who had done great work, reflecting that, acknowledging that, making that team or that person feel that they were appreciated for what they'd done and they had contributed really well. Particularly around goodbyes, so if people were leaving, there was definitely a kind of that, uh, I think what you'd call it almost like a sort of living eulogy, if you like, to kind of acknowledge their contribution, which I always, I, t I took a lot from that. That meeting had some emotional content. That's really what you tie your memories to and that's really the bit that makes it a cultural piece, I think, rather than just being a status update. Uh, this is about acknowledging um, all the things that make that group special. Andy was very good at doing something called positive labelling and he used to get a great performance out of everyone and one of the things that he used to do was say, the reason the BBC looks to you as its best is because not only are you the best producers but you're the best administrators and you're the best creatives and that's why it's such a special place to work here because you are good at all of that and when you're in a situation and someone is saying that to you you don't want to think of yourself as being anything less than that mm. you want to live up to that expectation and a little bit of you just goes yeah you know what i am fantastic at all of that stuff <laughs> it definitely brings out a, a performance the big takeaway i reckon apart from the results is that but the bbc used to do a staff survey every year and you would have to fill out some sort of very kind of boilerplate questions about uh, do you know who your line manager is? Have you had an appraisal that year? Uh, and there was a bunch of questions, and one of them was always, on a scale of 1 to 10, how happy are you in your job? And Radio 1, I think, for at least three years on the, on the, on the bounce, was the happiest place to work in the BBC. Amazing. And I think if Andy, if, that, if you were to talk to anyone from that management team or to, or to Andy, they would say that that was the thing of which they were most proud was that it was a happy place to work and there was a lot of laughter at Radio 1 and it was, and I say fun and I don't mean that to sound trivial, but it was a meaningful place to be with a lot of people who were very invested in delivering what Radio 1 was set up to do. And, and you said it was a happy place to work, but it sounded like it was a proud place to leave. You, and rituals are an interesting thing. Do you want to talk through the ritual of leaving speeches and how this became a celebration of almost like the sort of the legacy of Radio 1? I had to do a lot of goodbye speeches. Part of my time at Radio 1, there was a big period of redundancy and a lot of people in my team that had been there for a long time decided that it was time for them to go. And that was a tough one because they were friends of mine and people that I'd worked with and worked under them for, for many years. As they were leaving, I was also hiring new people into that team. I took a lot from the pizza meeting and how the goodbyes were done because they were done in a very heartfelt and very sincere, very genuine way. I think it's important for people 
to see that happening. And I think creating that appointment with gratitude and appreciation contributes to culture enormously. And when you work at Radio 1, it takes over your life, right? It becomes your life because you're there an awful lot. Um, and if something goes wrong, you find yourself doing a little bit of work on the weekends and it just becomes a part of who you are. And so when you decide to relinquish that, it's a, it's a big moment for that person to say that they're stepping away from that. And, and also, I think if you're... I always felt that if you were someone new to the organisation... Being, in, being part of that moment and to watch how you treat people as they leave infuses you with a sense of what it is you're about to become a part of more than anything. I, I could sit down and say you're about to join something really, really fantastic. To describe these things for So I would encourage my team particularly to sort of make something, make a memento that was bespoke to that person that was kind of from us that was theirs to kind of either hang on the wall or, or whatever when they, got, when they got home. And so we used to take pictures off people's social media and then I would grab a, a kind of a, a gold disc from somewhere. There might be a kind of one on the, on, the out tre- on the out pile or something and we would sort of fashion that into something that really f- honoured honored that moment. Um, uh, someone decided they were going off to write a book and so we all made like, book covers for the book we thought they should go and write. And I remember having a commemorative statue made for someone. So one of our longest serving employees, he was a real kind of, a real kind of cult figure around the building. And I felt that um, obviously couldn't, couldn't, he was irreplaceable, but I thought a commemorative statue was the way to go. So we had, uh, I had him scanned and we had a little 3D printout made of him, but still, still in broadcasting house somewhere, just to kind of mark that moment and to kind of make it feel special. But I think that the con- it Really, it's the content of what you say at the end of the day. And that if, you, if you're going to tell a joke or you're going to tell a story, it has to be in service of uh, a, a bigger, a deeper emotional point, really. But I, I, we got it right. I mean, we, I, I worked on, on that um, over a kind of number of years. And I knew I got it right because people were coming up. People would come up to me. And just say that was it's just been really amazing to kind of see to see that and to be part of um, that kind of moment and part of you have a whole load of you know when you're when you're changing out 80 percent of your team from a leadership point of view the challenge is really how do you bottle what you've got how do you bottle what happens when people have worked together for 10 years and that kind of spirit that they have and that connection that they have through doing, going on all of those adventures together, how do you bottle that so that the next group of people coming in to do those jobs feel, feel a sense of being part of something very special? One of those things, they don't teach you any of this stuff. Like in leadership training programs, right, you don't get... No one talks to you about how to design a ritual or what it means to say goodbye to someone properly, or how you how to honour somebody. It's mm-hmm. it's much more kind of transactional yeah. uh, in leadership training programmes. But I think all that soft stuff is the difference between people who really reach in and kind of grab you, or are just a bit more kind of take it or leave it. I think. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. 
Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Purpose at work when it's done well is not really something that you're told is your purpose where a a manager or a leader will say the function the purpose of this organization is this and that is now your purpose i think the best application of it is to explain to people who work for you why the organization has been set up and what it's seeking to achieve and then let people use their own intelligence and their own passions to work out how to translate that into their own action and at radio one i think i didn't i I think this is the benefit of hindsight. I didn't really realize what was going on at that time. But when I think back to what it was like at Radio 1, I think that was really true, where producers had their own programs, the DJs that they worked with. Each one of those shows was a community in its own right because of the artists that it used to support and all the people that were behind those teams and the record companies. And so when you have your show or you have uh, the digital function to look after or the marketing department, you're able to really own your own bit of the solution and make it your own. And it's an intensely creative thing to do. Um, and the, the, I guess, I guess you, if you're really terrible, you could fail at that, but it was really just the degree to which you did that. There used to be these DJ dinners, which I thought were always tremendously effective. I think they were, they were set up to remedy this sort of trench warfare that used to happen between DJs in the past. And I think there used to be real fights over who would get to play what record. And before the playlist policy was implemented, you would often have one DJ ending the show with a certain tune and the following DJ starting their show right, with amazing. exactly the same amazing. record. Which couldn't go on. I mean, it just sounds totally uncoordinated. Yeah. And so I think one of the, the ways of, of dealing with that was to just bring everyone closer together. And, you know, you'd hear stories about how John Peel didn't see the appeal of Chris Moyles at all. And <laughs> they were sort of, you know, the, completely intellectually opposed from one another. But there are, there are stories about what the, them meeting at those DJ dinners and actually sitting down and having a chat and realizing that you know their differences if you like or that, that, that they, they were just good blokes basically who wanted to have a drink and have a laugh and that um that didn't you know what they played on the radio didn't make them a bad person yeah. and actually the barriers bet- between those shows 
were were reduced significantly by the DJs spending time together. And I went to a couple. So when I was when I was leading Midnight to a forum Radio One, the execs used to go to those dinners. And there would be a present. So we would eat. There would be a presentation. We would talk about station strategy, and what we we're all trying to do. And I think everyone was reminded that they were there to contribute to that in their own way, and that they were there to attract a certain kind of audience. You get the money to run Radio One to deliver scale, and that means appealing to a lot of different people. And you would get people who listened to Radio One who were. Not interested in what happened in the breakfast show, but they would put John Peel on religiously every evening when it was on, yeah. and that would be their only experience of Radio One, and that's fine. Tell me this: like, food plays a part in that, and in Peter, is that an irrelevance, or is actually it's just a great way to break down sort of the some of the? Does food just break down some of the uncom- discomfort that some of us feel? So you put food in the middle, and the discomfort is displaced. By, I, know, is, is the food relevant or irrelevant? I, I think it's true to a certain extent. So a good friend of mine was saying, we, I talked to him about culture at work, and he was saying that cake is not culture. Uh, and there is, a, I think, a sort of a, t- a tick almost when it's someone's birthday, some, you know, cake arrives and cake is cut up and, and handed out. And then you sort of wander back to your desk you might say happy birthday to that person. You kind of wander back and then you eat your cake and whatever. Now, it's, uh, there's a missed opportunity there. So I think that food is essentially what brings people to the table. But it's then all about what you say and the intent of that meeting. And I remember someone saying that with Radio 1 and that pizza meeting, you need a little bit of salt and fat to guarantee ratings which is why the room was always full. I remember one year when we were doing a campaign around healthy eating that pizza was replaced with fruit and water and it was noticeably less well attended than the pizza meetings. And that's where that phrase came from. You need salt and fat to guarantee ratings. And I think that food food is, just from a, a human point of view, is what brings people, you know, into proximity with one another. But I don't think... It, I think if you're, if you're in charge of a situation like that, you then have to create lots of other reasons for that to be a meaningful encounter. That's a good quote. That's a really good quote. <laughs> Salt and fat to bring ratings. Salt and fat to guarantee ratings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Definitely. Fantastic ending there from Andy. Andy Paulston, uh, a brilliant perspective on these things. Right, next up is Claudia Newman. And I told you, Claudia came up to me at an event and she started telling me about this happening. She said she said there was a couple of happenings at YNR and they found themselves in a strange situation that sometimes when new joiners came into the company, new joiners would scratch their head and say, why are we doing these odd things? And, of course, on paper, sometimes these rituals, the uh, we, we discussed there with Andy, rituals, but sometimes these rituals feel difficult to explain. They're like those weird family quirks that are hard to explain to the outside world. Crisp Thursday, I thought, was magnificent. And she also talks about uh, Start the Week, which is their Monday morning meeting. 
I suspect a few of you got a few things that are similar to this in your work. I'm not saying that any of these things are completely new and revelatory, but more actually there's bringing this infusion of emotion seems to be really powerful for for bonding teams. So Claudia is head of new business at YNR. She kicked off for me by telling me a little bit about the culture at YNR. We've got a, a quite a flexible approach to working hours and being in the office. You know, you can kind of come in any time until 10 o'clock. And if you, you know, if you want to come in at 11 o'clock and work at home or 12 and work at home in the morning, that's fine. It's kind of very much a just make sure you do your work, <laughs> um, but wherever you need to do that. I do feel strongly, though, that actually when people are in the office that's when the best work is done it, there is you know there's certain meetings you always have at the beginning so you meet with the new business team you meet with the head of strategy you meet, kind of to understand their departments and what they do and what's kind of expected and you have your kind of sessions with hr etc there's a kind of little book on YNR, um a bit about its history how it's connected to the global network what that means what all the resources are that you have to hand it's important that you i you know i feel really important really strongly that people feel a sense of being part of the agency as quickly as possible so we've done a whole thing around what are the things that you might hear about that you might not know bits of work that people talk about or different clients that people talk about just so that you know you know when someone's like oh the you know the every man remembered thing you're like sorry what's that and it's just a particular campaign that we did that everyone's very proud of that won lots of awards and so you just kind of get a sense right. of what the language that people use it's quite funny because all our meeting rooms are named the most random things that are not related to anything in particular like the cafe room which is not near a cafe and people are like sorry where's the cafe room because I'm kind of looking for the cafe <laughs> and it's just that they you just kind of get to know those things right. every Thursday at about 4.25 Everyone in the agency receives an email from our head receptionist, who's called Gillian, who's been there for over 13 years, maybe I think over 15 years. And she sends an email out saying, it's Chris Thursday, it's the best, it's the best time of the week. And what happens is that there's a long table in the middle of the agency and Gillian has crafted a selection of different crisp flavours that go out in different stylish bowls, each with their own sign designed by someone in one of the designers in studio and printed on some nice card. And there's posters up that say Gillian's Crispin, Gillian McCafferty's Crisp Emporium because she, that's Gillian McCafferty who's the head receptionist um, and it's kind of all nicely branded and everyone crowds around has some Chris talks about the week and there's also wine and beer and some Prosecco Right, so, <laughs> right there's, there's so many layers of this <laughs> so firstly I mean are these unusual crisp flavours is she going out would she ever give a sour cream and chive Pringle or is it, is it slightly more exotic than that? They're slightly more exotic. It started off quite simple. No one really knew where it came from. It just started about a year ago and she was like, I'm doing Chris Thursday, come along. And you can't miss it because it's right in the middle of the yeah. agency. And they started quite normal flavours. And then that is actually, you've just hit on kind of like one of the, the, I think one of the best parts of Chris Thursday is there's this layer of consistency. If you know you're going to get crisps, you know you're going to get wine, beer and some mostly some Prosecco but you don't know what that kind of little added extra of the week's okay. going to be and Gillian is very creative and she'll hold some she'll she'll bring a surprise to it each week so a few weeks ago there was 
Pringles theme to it and she came dressed as a Pringles can right so it might be that she comes dressed as something or it might be that so last week was Burns week yeah so there was a kind of Scottish theme okay and sometimes she brings things extra to Chris so there was some crudités a few weeks ago um and there was January some, healthy January was healthy exactly so that was the crudités um and one of the a couple of weeks before that we had uh there was some different flavors Japanese crackers um there was actually a cheese themed week so there was all cheese flavored crisps and then there was some cheese and crackers as well um so she always brings that kind of little added extra and sometimes it's cultural themed or sometimes it's just a theme to do with what she fancies or sometimes and what's really nice is there'll be a kind of celebratory theme related to someone in the agency so someone got engaged so there was champagne flavored right. champagne and smoked salmon flavored crisps don't recommend them but they do exist and she just adds something every single week that so je ne sais quoi two questions about it then you said it just started organically completely organically right. it was not a planned thing right it was Gillian wanting to do something on a Thursday afternoon and presumably Thursday half four is probably a good downtime where people feel like they they can relax a bit is it, is it a good place for chat and discussion yeah it's a it's it's exactly what it's a good place for and I think that 4.30 on a Thursday afternoon is a great time because it's close enough towards the end of the day or the week that people feel like they can have a break it doesn't normally last more than half an hour because yeah. people are there promptly because they want their crisps people often sometimes wander over and get some crisps then walk into a meeting with those crisps or they stay around and chat, or, you know, most people do, and it ends by five and people go back to their desks and work for another hour, and it doesn't, it doesn't signify the end of the day like we're all going to go off and kind of not, and stop working, so it's actually kind of, it was, it was a, it's a good time. How long has it been going? About a year. So th- presumably you've had people join in that year. It feels a bit like the sort of thing that would be adored in a family and then someone come back for a, a family Christmas and ha- this weird family tradition has to be explained to the, the new Christmas guests. What do new starters think of Crisp Thursday? Well, I think what's so great about it is the fact that it is exactly what it says on the tin. Yeah. So there's no mind games there. Yeah. It is Crisp Thursday. Yeah. And it is so... C- tongue-in-cheek and ridiculous that she labels all the different crisps and she has a little new extras and and themes but it's everyone loves crisps so it draws people immediately and you don't really need an explanation no one really asks what is this because it's just a lot of crisps displayed nicely and with a lot of people around with some alcohol so it's it is that's kind of its its beauty is the simplicity of it I really like the fact it's, it feels very similar to me. I chatted to uh, Richard Reed, the guy who set, set up Innocent Smoothies, and he said one of the most popular things that they created and one of the most enduring things is Cheese Club. And once a month they have Cheese Club and everyone gets together and they all try new cheeses and they try some golden oldies. <laughs> and he said it's just there's no reason for it. We couldn't really explain it, but it's one of the most popular things we do. It's so uncontrived. It's yeah. just what people want to be yeah. doing and i i think that it's it's a yeah as i was saying that the timing of it it works really well because it kind of punctuates the week and i've been talking to different people in the agency about why they like it so much and i feel like um because 
in an ad agency and definitely in why now it's all about the talent and who there is there it's so important to have these moments where you know the people can just spend time with the people yeah and actually sometimes you have conversations there with people that you haven't managed to have all week because you you know you just haven't put a meeting in for it or you just haven't managed to put by their desk because they're not there and you're not there for any reason and actually you kind of just rely on the fact that most people are going to be there and you can kind of oh this thing I was just wondering about this or I've just spoken to this person I wanted to run this by you and sometimes it's you talk about work sometimes you don't talk about work at all that's what's really nice there's no expectation around it there's no there's no there isn't really hype about it It just happens really really naturally yeah it was quite funny yesterday there's always various different shoots and things happening or people in meetings or not in the office for whatever reason and then one of the kind of whatsapp groups with um one of the teams i got a message saying send me pictures of chris thursday what's happening and they sent a picture of them with a packet of walker's chris on their shoot being Uh like it's not the same (laughs) but i think yeah that again that level of consistency with you know what you're going to get yeah. but also that kind of extra yeah. guessing of kind of what's the extra special thing that Gillian's going to bring this There's a couple of things that really strike me about it it's sort of it seems to fill the gap that pub culture used to have a bit in the sense that it's like a bit of relaxation often having an excuse to wander over and chat to someone that isn't a meeting and it's probably not an email but it's just like a three sentence chat that's probably you know punctuated with a few jokes and, and a bit of chit-chat probably feels like a productive thing the fact it's not outside work hours means it's not as exclusive as f- for people who might have to dash off and do other things sort of fills the gap that pub culture might have filled and it means that people go and are all there at the same time mm. because it's only ever you know maximum 20 30 meters away from yeah. your desk and you see it happening and if you're not in there it's a bit of fomo involved yeah for sure amazing um, so new starters have sort of got used to it pretty quickly. Yeah, very quickly. One of the things I was wondering was whether it depends on its leader, so Gillian. Because uh, there's been a couple of instances yeah, where she hasn't been off? there. So she is this fantastic character who also does, um, she's an actress as well. Sometimes she goes off for a couple of months at a time to do different shows and things. Um, at, or, you know, maybe she's got a week's holiday or yeah. she's not very well. And so... Um, couple of times she's bought the Chris in advance and briefed the, wow. well, the the office management team on kind of setting it up. What dedication to a keeping lot it of going. Dedication, a lot of dedication and also um, but last week actually she wasn't there on the Thursday unexpectedly because she wasn't very well so actually it got moved to Friday um, so I, I this this question about kind of how because it is kind of Gillian's set piece and a bit of kind of her time to shine um, she takes so much pride in it that um, I wonder I wonder what happens if, yeah. if she's not there but I think there's now these kind of oh, different options whether it moves day or whether it or whether someone else whether someone else does it and tell me that when we were chatting before you mentioned there's another ritual you have which is this. Is it every day, this morning check No, every in? Monday morning. Every start morning. the week. Start the week. Right, so talk me through start the week. So start the week happens at 10 o'clock on a Monday morning. Right. Um, we have this area where kind of the agency comes together called the pit. It's got kind of a big seating area um, with kind of rake seating and everyone get an email everyone knows it's at 10 o'clock but no one gets up until the email comes saying everyone to the pit which is another weird kind of ritual (laughs) so everyone goes to the pit and either the ceo or the managing director or or myself or the head of account management kind of depending on who's around will stand up and read kind of i guess parish notices so starts with information about new business then new business meetings and opportunities then it will talk about every single account uh what's happening that week on that account 
Um, and then any other new joiners or birthdays or leavers or any other any other business about the agency. There are training courses that people are going on. Are there any speakers coming in that week? Are there any production companies coming to do a showcase? Are there any musicians coming to sing? Kind of anything that's happening in the agency that week. Is there any you know art exhibition in the agency that week? So I think what's special about it is it's not about the content as much as it is about the people coming together. So before you get to the pit, you pick up a sandwich on the way because there's breakfast laid out and tea and coffee's laid out for the Monday morning. That's quite a nice feeling about it as well as everyone's kind of munching a bit of food and having a having a tea or coffee uh, while listening to some information about the agency. I think that's a real, we actually had a bit of downtime for a few weeks when it didn't happen. Lots of questions were kind of being murmured and actually the most unexpected people were asking questions about why Start the Week wasn't happening. And when it came back, there was, people didn't really realise that it had stopped for a reason but they just thought oh great it's back I'm really happy about that and it's just this it doesn't it's not that people don't start any work until 10 o'clock but it just sets momentum for the agency and I think it's a really good way on a Monday morning people are kind of thinking about right what are their priorities for the week what are my objectives for the week what do I need to get done and it's how do I then start the week helps to contextualize that within what the agency's doing and where the agency is going and um, it's it's important to everybody from production to creative to finance to office management. Um, and I think that's I think it's a really, really special kind of moment, 10 minute moment for the agency to kind of come together and, and coalesce. So mom was chatting to me about um, an interview with Brian Eno, like the music producer. And he, he said he'd observed two pensioners and they'd been talking about EastEnders. And he was wondering why they'd done it, because they both appeared to have watched the same show. And his conclusion was, right, they're using something they've got in common to synchronise and actually synchronising around mm. the people that we work with is one of the most invisible but potent things that we can do so feeling like you synchronize with people and it feels to me like both crisp thursday and this start of the week have just got this gentle synchronization that they just make you feel more of a team is that is that how it feels yeah i think that's i think that's spot on i hadn't thought of it in yeah, terms of synchronization yeah. but actually i do think that's spot on because also if you have this thing that's kind of bookending, almost bookending the week. Yeah. And also the other thing with Chris Thursday is it's not, I think what's special is it's not on a Friday, so it's not any pressure for people to hang around on a Friday to six o'clock because we're a fluid agency in the way that we work. So if you've done your work by five o'clock or you want to go off to the gym at four o'clock on a Friday and do a couple more hours at home and you know look after the kids and give the kids supper or give yourself supper, that's absolutely fine. And I like the fact that it's on a Thursday because then there's no pressure yeah. to... But yeah, I think that bookending of like, oh, Okay, right. Um, so the Department of Transport team on Monday, I heard they were going out for a shoot, and on Thursday, you're like, "Oh, I wonder how, wonder how that shoot yeah. went on Tuesday." And you might not have a chance to ask them, ask them those those questions. Yeah, um, it feels like you know. you know that thing where you're sitting next to someone and you think, "I like you." You met, you're introduced to someone new, and you think, "I'm certain I could have." 30 brilliant conversations with this person, but I don't know what the things are. And it seems both of those times those bookends give you reasons like you say to wander over and ask how that was and just break the ice and make you feel more aligned as a group of people i think also around in an in an advertising agency you work with so many different teams and what is so special about and that i'm kind of increasingly learning but even despite having worked agency side all my career but is that you are always kind of coalescing around a single thing which is 
your clients and the work you do for your clients and helping your clients solve their business problems you know for in our case through creativity and i you and as a as a result of that you're always changing teams or having to you know working with new people and i think these things you know you don't you might not know that you're going to work with bob in production yeah. in two weeks time but actually because of chris thursday you've spent 10 minutes talking to him so it actually makes that first meeting that you then have with him just that bit easier without you even having known that yeah. and so anything thing that can kind of foster new relationships really helps and I think so much of creativity as well comes from um, you know those random interactions that you have and I you know I once had a conversation with somebody um, at Chris Thursday he was like oh can I just I have I've had this idea about doing this with this brand what do you think and if I hadn't have been there then that wouldn't have happened and then we yeah. actually made it happen and that was completely because of because of that and so anything that's kind of not a ritual that's not a, f- a formality i think really helps to kind of you know spark creativity yeah. and, and improve it right well thanks for listening now i'm hoping that next week's epi- episode is a fabulous live recording from advertising week europe that's in town this week so i'm recording that um on Thursday and we've got an amazing panel lined up let's hope no one pulls out but we've got Jeff Lloyd the award-winning podcaster broadcaster and all-round wonderful guy we've got Paul Coleman who's the writer of Carshare and a number of other award-winning comedies he's got a BAFTA how about that a man man with a BAFTA and then Professor Sophie Scott who her Christmas lecture on laughter and actually she's been on the Russell Brand under the skin podcast about laughter she's just a an incredible source of knowledge about why we laugh and our live show is going to be talking about bringing laughs back to work so that's myself and sue todd doing that fingers crossed i'll try and drop that into your feed on friday and uh and then after that we've got some other we've got some other great stuff coming on we've got sir carrie cooper who is he's almost become a friend he's just uh one of the most erudite and informed spectators and commentators on how the world of work is emerging and and developing. I went down to Lloyd's Banking Group and uh, spent some time with a guy called Tom Kigodi and his team who told me how they were getting on with the New Work Manifesto. So there's some fab stuff coming up. As ever, hit me up on LinkedIn. You can check out our Twitter for just some of the stuff that I've mentioned here. You can get that by searching Eat, Sleep, Work, Repeat. See you next time. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.